Hello. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast today. We pray that it will be a blessing to you and that it will help you with your daily walk with Christ. My name is Ben. And my name is Jack. We have been burdened to create this podcast for the purpose of addressing a problem in the local church, and more specifically, a problem in the life of the average Christian. The problem is the absence of revival. This podcast is for the purpose of discussing what true revival is, how revival can be attained, and how revival never has to end. The word revival has become a cliché, but our goal is to get back to the biblical definition of revival. Our goal is to be revived in the eyes of God. Alrighty, guys, thank you for joining us today. Last week we talked about the prayer of repentance, and that episode is extremely necessary because the next two episodes, including this one, and pretty much everything after that, is completely and utterly useless if you do not execute what we presented in that episode. And even in fact, when there is sin in your life and you know that there's sin in your life, the only prayer that God is going to hear and to answer is the prayer of confession and repentance. For that, it has to be done with or dealt with before you can go any further, because you cannot worship God in sin, and surely God is not going to answer your prayer if it's coming from a sinful passion or from a sinful tongue. And surely uh, every public prayer and every private prayer should be first preceded by the prayer of repentance. Even a public prayer, even to yourself privately, you should pray in repentance because it's extremely hypocritical and it's pretty much useless to stand up in front of people and pray when you've broken communion with God and you have any sin in your life whatsoever. It makes your public prayer useless. and You become like the Pharisee that was praying out to the uh, publican and talk about him being a better man. You're no better than that person when you have sin in your life. And, you know, it becomes a hindrance to your prayer. That's a great example of that, especially the publican, how he knew that he was sinful, and that's where the Pharisee mm. was at fault. The publican left, his, left that place justified. He was righteous with God because he prayed a prayer of repentance. Mm. And from that, that publican could now be in a state of worship toward God, but the yeah. Pharisee could not. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If we've broken up prayer into three different things, we gave you an introduction. We're talking about repentance. Now we're talking about worship. We did put this in some kind of an order. Uh, I don't necessarily think there's a step-by-step process. I don't think prayer is ritualistic because mm. talking to a friend is not ritualistic. But we did put this in some kind of an order, and you know, for there is a reason for that. We started off with repentance, and I believe this is the next step, if you would say, though I'm very hesitant in saying that because it's not really you know, a ritual. But we believe that this should come before asking, you know, and, and that should be your desire. This, the, the process should be a byproduct. Mm-hmm. Repentance should be the, the second you get rid of your sin. Your first desire should be to worship the God who had the power to get rid of that sin. Mm-hmm. It should be your desire for this to be the next step. And like we said, it's very important that you did what's in the last episode. But if you did that, now you have a desire to worship. And you have a desire to execute what we're going to present to you through God's Word in this episode. Now, worship is simply the practice of expressing praise, thanksgiving, adoration to God, uh, to adore Him, to make it known in your own mind and then say it out loud to God, His greatness. That's what worship is. 
Many people in this world worship many things except for God, especially in the Old Testament. All those people who worshipped idols and things made of wood and stone, the head could not see, could not hear, could not speak. And we make fun of them and say, well, that's they're stupid. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty dumb. But we worship things all the time besides God. Mm-hmm. By uh, definition of what we just gave. Right. You know, we worship all kinds of things in our own life that aren't God. It doesn't have to be made out of wood or stone. Anything that we... We don't bow down literally to something, but figuratively, we do it all the time, whether it be our hobby or our desire or even some sort of lust. As uh, my father says all, says many times when he preaches, it's uh, man was designed to worship. You can go to the jungles of Africa or the Amazon, and you'll find uh, a person who can barely speak his own language, and yet he's bowing down to some kind of idol. Man was made to worship, but he was made to worship God. Not himself, not the people around him, and certainly not some type of idol. And uh, we say that we shouldn't have things in our life that take the place of God. But it's more than just that. Because you can have something that, in your own point of view, you've confused yourself. You're saying, this doesn't take the place of God. So that's not a good way to look at it. Look at it as, are you worshiping that thing? Anything you are expressing praise to, or anything you adore. Anything that would take away the worship of God. Yeah. Anything that is placed above God in any way, shape, or form is an idol. Mm-hmm. That's idolatry. And that's one of the sins that God hates most. We must remember that the very nature of God demands holiness. In the book of Revelation and in, uh, in Isaiah's prophecy, and even in Ezekiel, we see when the visions are given of God and him on the throne, and he's at the appearance of fire and of a jasper stone, and we see we're reading this, it's fascinating. We try to picture with our minds. We always see the uh, the seraphims or the cherubims that worship day and night, and they say, holy, holy, holy. And they're there just to proclaim that God is holy, and they, they're, ju- they're there just to proclaim his praise. His very nature demands worship. It demands praise by his creatures. And certainly, should it not be from us, his most prized creation, those who were created in his own image. But we as his children have neglected his worship. Imagine if you can, in your sanctified imagination, being in God's position. Of course, we cannot, but try for a second. You are the most holy being that there is. You are supreme in every way. You create something in your own image that is after your likeness. And your desire for it, you've given it free will, your desire for it is to love you and to worship you and to talk to you. Yet we neglect him. And even when we pray to him, it's not in the realm of worship. It's because I need this, and I need that, and please forgive me because I did this. And yes, he's our father, and he understands that those things are necessary. But we forget that worship is necessary. His very character demands to be worshipped, especially by us, his own children, who he bought with his precious blood. I think we've forgotten how important this is. We must not forget it any longer. When we pray to God without being in the state of worship, we forget who he is. Never forget who God is when you're praying to him or when you're reading your Bible or thinking upon him. Not only what he's done, but who he is. There is none like him. There is only one Lord. And if this is missing from your spiritual walk, it, that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. And it can be the answer to a lot of yeah. questions you have. When there's worship, worship is one of the greatest uh, producers of the desire to walk with God. Absolutely. You desire to walk with someone when, you, when you're 
doing your best to comprehend how magnificent that being is. God is infinitely majestic and infinitely perfect. And when we comprehend that, we desire to spend more time with him. And worship helps us do that. And we think it's beneath us, mm-hmm. or it's something that is little compared to us and what we were made for. But that is not the case. Worship is, in a sense, fulfilling our purpose, especially the worship of love. In a sense, love is worship. There's satisfaction in it to do what you were created to do. But is this just our opinion? Is this from me and Jack's First Opinions Chapter 1, or is this found in the Word of God? As we're going to show you right now, it is found in the Word of God quite often, quite often. And uh, I think it would come to no surprise what book we'd be delving into in order to talk about this topic. Absolutely. Because David... The book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> <laughs> David... David comprehended something that so few Christians comprehended. I like the idea of David, and we'll talk a little bit about this in the future, but of David being in the throne room of King Saul and Saul throwing spears at David. And it said David left his presence, but the next word is one of my favorite words. It says twice. I I love that idea that David, he came back, but nowhere is it recorded that he said anything to King Saul, or he, you know, tried to rebuke King Saul. He just played his harp. But then what do we see happen later when he's running from King Saul? He goes in a cave, in a cave where it would have made sense to be perfectly quiet. And he does what? He prays. He worships God. He writes psalms. That's something that so few Christians do. We desire to pray to God right in the moment when oppression is happening, right in the moment when we're facing the trial. But later, when we're in the cave, when we're in our own bed at night, we're silent. We'd much rather sleep than worship God. Not to say there's not a balance there. You need to sleep, but we don't desire to worship God as we should. And David displays prayer after prayer after prayer, psalm after psalm, of what worshiping God is. In Psalms 29, in verse chapter 2, he displays it perfectly. It says, Given to the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And don't skip past this verse. Think about what it says, especially the latter part of the first half of <laughs> the latter part of the first half of the second verse. <laughs> especially the part where it says, "The glory due unto His name." Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Can man possibly comprehend the glory that is due to God's name, the being that is above all others, who is none like anybody else, who created all and hidden? in whom sustains all life, give unto him the glory due unto his name. There's no wiggle room in that verse. That's a command to his creatures. But remember that the first, the first part that we talked about last week, or last time, that to worship him you must be in a clean state. There must be no sin there. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. And worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness. The base of worship should be holiness. If you're trying to worship God when you're not situated, when you're not rooted in holiness, then really it's an insult to God to praise him, as I said before, as a person standing in sin. We must be holy as he is holy. We must praise him and worship him in his own holiness. So we, compre- we can't comprehend the glory that is due to God, but we understand that it's necessary. Now, this is a podcast on revival and a podcast on how you should attain and keep revival in your own life. So what does this worship produce in your own life that attributes to revival in your life? 
revival is something that God can only bring in your life. But if we're sitting around waiting for it and not doing anything, I don't think that's the best way to go around it. So what is this topic? What, is this, what does worship bring to the life of the Christian? I think one of the first things it brings is true humility. Humility is not something that you can attain by yourself because any progress that you make in attaining it, you'll be proud of. And then you just start back at ground zero. Yeah. Uh, Colossians talks about this. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 18, it says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his flesh. How does humility and vanity go together? That's because this is not the humility that we're supposed to have. This is not the humility that you're supposed to think of. Worshiping is even mentioned in this verse. It talks about the worshiping of angels and the things he, have, he has not seen. Listen, when you worship things that are not God, you will get humility. You'll be attaining something. You'll be attaining a type of humility, but it's not the humility you should have. It's a voluntary humility, which is not good humility. But in Psalms chapter number 8, I'll read through a little bit here. It says, O Lord, our, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set the glory above the heavens. You can already tell that this is a prayer of worship. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings has thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, Watch a transition here. Watch a transition happen from verse 3 to verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? Visiteth him, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. What happened between verse 3 and 4? We see a transition. We see David's prayer of worship turn into a humility that is growing in himself. True, we find a remembrance and another realization of the holiness of God. That's when that true humility comes. What did Isaiah say when he saw God in his vision? He said, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's humility. Humility is us realizing what we truly are and who we truly are. We're broken vessels that were bought back by God to be remade in, his, to be remade in the image of his son, to be used for him. That true worship and praise in prayer produces humility, the humility that is only from God, that can only be given from God. It comes by brokenness, comes by pain, comes by seeing God for who he truly is, if you're seeing us for who we truly are. Because humility can be faked, but it also gives you faith. This seems kind of obvious, but faith is obviously what we're lacking as Christians. Because if we had the faith of the mustard seed, we'd be able to move mountains. So how, what is a way that we can attain more faith? Well, worship is. For when we worship God, remembering who he is, that breeds humility, but also reminds you of what he can do, that he is omnipotent, that he can do anything before he is God. He created all, especially as Jack read in Psalm chapter 8, where David is looking at the works of God and the heavens and the stars and what is man. He remembers, he's humbled by, but also remembers that God can do anything. And he has faith in that God, not the God of his mind who he thinks up and tries to cuddle to, but the God of holiness, of righteousness, the great judge, the holy one, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's who he's looking at. And that's where his faith is coming from. He's looking at God who is all, 
and seeing that he is none and that God can do everything through him. It gives him confidence in his God. And that's the second thing that it produces. In John chapter 4, it says, in verse number 21, it says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when, she, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. I love verse 22 where it says, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. Listen, the more you worship God, the more you know him. We say this so often. We've probably said it on this podcast several times. You can know of God and not know God. You can know of God, you can read about him, but not know him. And maybe that's one of our huge problems today, is that we're worshiping the God that we think we know. What we are trying to worship is not actually who he is. Someone who actually worships God must know who he is. The, per- the person who doesn't worship God doesn't truly know him, because if they were in his presence and they knew who he was, they couldn't help but worship. They couldn't, they couldn't help but be like an Isaiah, crying, woe is me. Or as John saw Jesus in Revelation chapter 4 as he fell on his face. We couldn't help but do that. As he told the woman, you, you worship, you know not what. Christians today are worshiping a God that they have imagined and come up with their own mind, what they perceive it to be. And that connects back to Colossians chapter 2. Yes. Our failure in prayer, I believe some of it results from a failure of truly worshiping him. And we see from this prayerful worship that it, we receive humility May we receive faith in our God. And lastly, we see that it prevents us from sinning. It is a holy fear that keeps us from doing that which is wrong. And again, our goal is not, if you've done what you were supposed to do in the last episode, our goal is not to bring guilt to you. But it's true. Worship points you in the direction that you should be looking. Mm -hmm. Like I said, life is like a giant circle. You can look in an infinite number of directions. One of them is sin. One of them is where you shouldn't be looking, and one of them is God. But there's an infinite amount of other directions that you can look where you think, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a far away from sin. I'm good. I'm away from it. But if you're not looking at God, no matter what, you will always slowly drift back to it. Always. Mm-hmm. He that thinketh he standeth, standeth, take heed lest he fall. Yeah. So worship is a way that you can put your, you can set your trajectory right. You can be straight as an arrow because you're – why would you want to sin against a God that you're doing your best to comprehend the greatness of, which is what we said worshiping helps you do? There is no sin in true worship. And when you're truly worshiping God, you will not be in sin. And the more you worship God, the less you will sin, the less you'll want to sin. And you'll find that he'll be strengthening you and protecting you from that sin. And the temptations you'll endure will only be to the amount that you can endure, for he will strengthen you. So as I close here, you've been to a point where you've asked God to forgive you of all the sin. You've repented. You are clean. So begin to worship God. Go to a place by yourself. Open his word. Read the Bible. Think upon him. Meditate upon him. Jack mentioned before the verse that uh, you're supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth. The spirit is the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's what allows you to truly worship him. The truth is God's word. That's all you need to worship God. His word and the spirit that dwells within you, if you are truly saved. So spend time and worship him. Fulfill your purpose. You'll end up being satisfied and at the same time wanting more. You'll be able to fulfill that.
so that you are clean from sin. Worship him. Worship your Abba. Worship God. And be satisfied. Amen.